I would like to draw your attention today to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 26. And while you're turning there, I'd like to welcome all of our guests that are here today. We're so very thankful to have you in the house of the Lord with us. I know that you may not completely believe in divine providence, divine interruption, and divine appointment. But I can tell you this much I know today. You are here, ordered of the Lord. Amen. And I'm so thankful that you are here in this house. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 26. And for the sake of time, I would like for you to join me at the 24th verse. I want to say what a privilege it was this weekend to travel with some of the men from this church family to our national men's conference where I believe the Lord ministered to our men and to the men of this movement. There was a very special anointing that rested on that meeting. And uh, I believe that the Lord is getting his church cleaned up and getting it ready for his coming. Amen. I believe the Lord is getting some things lined up so that we can get in alignment with him for his purpose to be in alignment with his destiny in our lives, and that's what I want today. Amen. Acts chapter 26 and verse 24, if you're there, say amen. amen. Look at your neighbor and say, are you there? If you're not, just open your Bible and act like you are, and everybody will think you're spiritual, and you can just look up at the screen. You'll be all right. And as he thus spake for himself, the Apostle Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning hath made thee mad. You are mentally unstable. Paul looked back at him and he said, I'm just fine. I'm in my right mind, and I speak forth words of truth and soberness. In other words, I know exactly what I'm saying to you right now. He said, but not only do I know what I'm saying, but the king, Agrippa, he knows exactly what I'm saying. He said, I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him because this thing was not done in a corner. God didn't hide this. And Agrippa knows exactly what I'm talking about. King Agrippa, he looked at him. Right, I believe, square in the face. Called him by his name. He said, you believe in the prophets? You don't even have to answer. He said, I know that thou believest. And the Holy Ghost settled down in that room. And Agrippa began to feel the conviction power of the Holy Ghost. He was close. But he looked at the Apostle Paul and he said to him, you almost persuaded me. Your testimony was so good and the power that I felt was so incredible that you almost converted me. I want to begin today with what may seem like a negative to some. I want to begin with a statement that may feel derogatory to some. But it's a fact that we must all wrestle with and come to grips with. Almost saved is always lost. And it doesn't matter how close you are today to making a decision to live for the Lord. Almost is not saved. But now I'd like to give you a positive report. What Agrippa did not understand when he made the statement, almost thou persuadest me. 
is how close he really was to being touched by God. And I feel like telling somebody today, you are not that far away. You're not that far. You are not that far. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I've been with the Lord this morning and sought Him for the clear direction that I could speak life into somebody today. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord Jesus Christ has sent a word to this place to pick somebody up from where you are, no matter how hopeless you may feel, no matter how distant you may feel from God, no matter how far you may feel like this old world has drugged you through the mud, the muck, the mire, no matter how dark your world may feel today, this preacher has come to tell you that his light is greater than your darkest hour. His power is more powerful than any force of wickedness, of darkness, any hold of addiction, any power that could ever grip hold of your heart. I'm telling you this morning, this is not hearsay. This is not something I've heard through the grapevine. This is something that a countless number of multitude could stand today and testify to you in this house you are not so far from God that he cannot reach down to where you are right now and pick you up he can pick you up hallelujah he can pick you up he can turn you around he can establish your going today And I believe that he will. The word of the Lord tells us in Acts the 21st chapter, the apostle Paul and several disciples had been together. And they were on a trip that ended up ultimately in Caesarea for a short visit at the house of Philip the Evangelist. And Luke begins to write to us in the book of Acts that when Paul and these men that were traveling together got to Caesarea to the house of Philip that apparently when they abode with him and tarried with him in his house, that their focus and modus operandi, if you would, was not to catch CNN. It was not to sit down in front of a television to be entertained. It was not to turn on the radio and have a dancing huckabucking time. The story leads us to believe that while these men were in the house of Philip the evangelist, they were having a prayer meeting. I still believe it is a good thing when the people of God come together for us to call on the name of the Lord together. He said that they tarried there for many days, but Philip had four daughters. That were virgin girls, pure. In other words, they had never married. They were still in the house. And he said these girls began to prophesy. We were in a powerful move of God in Philip's house. And he said the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. The Lord was moving in the house. And he said after several days of being there, Word started getting out to some that the Spirit of God was moving. 
He said, there was an old prophet by the name of Agabus that came down. And Agabus came to the prayer meeting at the evangelist's house. And he said, we were in prayer, and while Agabus got to praying, he reached over and he got a hold of, of my belt that was holding my cloak together on my journey, and I had hung it over there on the wall. He said, Agabus reached up and got a hold of my belt, and he took my girdle, my belt, Paul's girdle, being led by the Holy Ghost, Luke said that Agabus took that girdle and tied his hands together. And he said, thus saith the Holy Ghost, to whomever this belt belongs to, you're going to be delivered in Jerusalem into the hands of some people that are going to bind you up just like I'm bound up right now. The man that this belt belongs to. Will be bound up by the Jews. And he will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Luke said we were all upset about this. Because we knew that that was Paul's belt. It was his girdle. And so we began to weep a little bit. And we said Paul please, please, please. Whatever you do. Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, you know they want to kill you. You know they've got their eyes set on you. You know they're going to do their best to destroy you. Whatever you do, don't go. Well, it kind of got under Paul's skin a little bit. And he said, why in the world are y'all crying? He said, are you just trying to break my heart? Are you crying so that my heart will be broken and you think a broken heart will change my mind. He said, not only am I ready to go to Jerusalem and be bound. He said, but I'm willing to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm not walking into this thing blindly. I'm not going into this thing thinking that because I'm preaching truth that everybody's going to love me and everybody's going to be on my side. If they want to bind me up, let them bind me up. If they want to kill me, let them kill me. But I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to preach the word. Anymore it seems like the modern voice of an evangelist would say, if it means a tithe payer is going to leave, I'll quit preaching. If it means a family is going to leave and go somewhere else, then I'll quit preaching. If it means that the church will fill up more quickly, I'll preach something else. If it means that I'll get favor with men, I'll change my mind and preach something else. But the apostle Paul said, I am not intimidated to be bound and I am not intimidated to die. You cannot threaten somebody who preaches about the resurrection by threatening them with death. He said, you are sorely mistaken if you think you're going to break my heart by crying tears because you're worried about what's going to happen to me. You let them threaten me with death. But on the very next breath, when I open up my eyes from this world, I will behold the one of whom I beheld on the road to Damascus. It's hard to threaten somebody that's sold out. It's hard to threaten somebody that really believes what they're preaching. If you'll get convinced in your soul today that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, no devil in hell can talk you out of it. Don't, don't, don't go, Paul. Don't go. We don't want you to get up there and get bound. He said, oh, my word. You got to be kidding me right now. You do realize this man that I'm preaching about that's made them hate me so much, they call me a heretic. The reason why they hate me is because I believe he's the resurrection. I'm a Pharisee. I know what I'm talking about. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I know exactly what they're talking about. I know why they don't like me. But them liking me doesn't change the truth. That's a spirit that needs to get a hold of the 21st century church. It doesn't matter if the world likes it. 
Well, Paul, you need to understand all of that's not necessary. You don't have to preach like that. You don't have to believe like that. You don't have to give yourself to that. He said, I believe it so much. Not only am I willing to live it, even if I have to live it bound, but I love it so much. Not only will I live for it, I'm willing to die for it. I'm telling you today that you have not been converted until you have come to grips with the fact that there is not a multiple choice in doctrine. There is not a multiple choices in ways to Jesus. There are not multiple ways to heaven. You're not going to find multiple avenues to God Jesus said I am the way if you don't believe that he's the way and you don't believe that he is the door you have yet to be converted Jesus felt pretty strongly about it he said I am the door to the sheepfold he said there's been people that's tried to climb over the wall and get in You can walk around all you want to, and you're going to find out there's only one way to get in. He said, and I am that way. And here's the rest of that story that you need to know. He said, anybody that tries to come in any other way than this way, come on, preach to me now. He is a thief, and he is a robber. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. Simon the sorcerer, you need to know you can't buy the Holy Ghost. You're not rich enough. You're not powerful enough. You don't have enough authority to buy yourself into this thing. The only way to get in is to sell out. You know, Pastor, I think sometimes you take things a little too serious. I, Pastor, I think, I think you feel like you're trying to raise up people that are like fanatical about this thing. Now there's a novel idea. We're coming into the fall season. For me, that means apple cider. For other people, it means pigskin and tailgating. And they're going to get up, paint their body from head to toe from Dan to Beersheba. Some goofballs from up north will put cheese on their head. (laughs) To the northwest of here, they paint themselves orange and navy. And man, they talk about the glory days. Oh man. Indianapolis... They put horse heads on theirs. Walk around. They'll go, they'll, they'll go out in Soldier Field and uh, Gillette Stadium on the East Coast. Pull their clothes off. In the rain, the snow, the ice, the sleet. And they will scream to the top of their lungs. And they will shout. And they'll get drunk. And drive home. And they will yell and scream and yell and scream and yell and scream. And that team will lose. And they'll pay money that they don't have. They'll get their light shut off next week. So that they can get a Sunday afternoon ticket to another game. And then they'll go to that game and go home. Their wife's mad at them. They're in divorce court. Can't pay their bills. And then when they look at you and say, you're a dummy for serving the Lord, you get offended. Come on on. on now. I'm talking about they are faithful to a cause. I'm not going to be naming names because I hadn't watched enough football to matter. I got sick of it. I got tired of all these drug addicts and fornicators and adulterers being praised by God's people. Oh, Lord, you're hardcore. No, I'm not. I just thank God I'm free. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm free. That, the world looks at that and said, that's a blast. That's incredible. Oh, that's a blast. I'm going to tell you what. I don't like sitting on a tree stand in the cold. 
And I'm sure not going to pay a ticket and sit out in the snow and watch them dudes in tights beat the hawk out of each other. I'm not doing it. I mean, I can't watch that. I've smacked my, my finger with a hammer in the cold. I can't imagine getting hammered by 425 pounds of beauty. When the Colts used to come to town here and do their training camp, my granddad, we'd walk past some great big old lineman or something. My granddad said, boy, I bet that guy can eat biscuits and gravy by the bucket. <laughs> I, I'm talking about, let, let's just get real right here, folks. I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly whatsoever, so understand my motive in my heart. But I have watched football with people that I've never seen them get excited in church. Never. But if their soccer team scores a goal, if their football team scores a touchdown, I'm talking about these people, they'll be, they'll be down by, by three points, and they're sitting on the edge of their seat rocking back and forth with ten seconds left on the clock, and Tom Brady's got the ball, and they act like he ain't going to do it because they ain't got it rigged. And he will take his deflated football and give them an old surprise like we didn't know he was getting ready to throw a touchdown. That's the way them Wolverines are. They act surprised. And I've watched those people sit on the edge of their seat and rock back and forth and wring their hands like, oh, come on, Tommy. Come on, Tommy. Come on, Peyton. Come on, let's get this done. Come on, Andrew. Let's make this happen. I'm not kidding you. I've watched them. I have, I've sat with grown men and watched them cry. I have watched grown men bawl and squall. And I've never seen them cry over their own children. somebody hey I like buffalo chicken dip as much as the next guy don't get me wrong I like that buffalo chicken dip but I'm going to tell you something if I'm going to weep and cry and be broken over something it's not going to be over somebody who doesn't even know my name I thank the Lord for their talent boy if they use it that's all right. let them do what they're going to do but I'd rather spend my Sunday right here in the house of the Lord where the glory of God is being poured out and the spirit of God is being poured out on the sons and daughters of God I would I'm, I'm telling you I would I mean that sincerely from the bottom of my heart I would rather be right here than I would anywhere else in the entire world. This is not where I, I plan on preaching, but I'm, I'm just going to finish this up and get out of here. It blows my mind that people get frustrated with God over his perfect financial plan of tithing and offering. And will drop three and a quarter on a jersey. Somebody, I don't know, I can't verify this, I don't know. Somebody told me the other day that last year, the Super Bowl, the average ticket was like $1,600. And you couldn't buy just one, you had to buy them in sets. And I'm not talking about $1,600 for two seats, I'm talking about $3,200 to go to a game. And you know that about half of that crowd left disappointed. I have never left this church one time disappointed. Never. I've never left a meeting with God disappointed. Never. The world's going to think we're crazy, Pastor. The world's going to think we're nuts. The world's going to think we have lost our mind. You do understand 
That is exactly what Festus said to him. I think you have lost your mind. We need the confidence of the great apostle to look right back at people and say, no, I understand completely what I'm saying. If you only knew what I look like before God got a hold of my life and turned me around and picked me up and established my going, you'd know right now why I act the way I act. Why in the world do you dance in the aisle? Why do you run the aisles? Why do you scream and clap and shout? Why do you do that? Because God's been good to me. I had a brother in this church tell me this week. He said, Pastor, sometimes the reason that I run the aisles like I do is when I start thinking about how my life could have been if I would have followed in the footsteps of my family. He said, but the Lord found me and he turned me around and that's why I worship. I'm going to tell you I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid of it today. I don't mind to worship one bit. Let the world call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. But God's been good to me. You know, it's pretty hard to threaten a dead man with death. You're dismissed. God bless you. That's the best preaching I'm going to do all day right there. It don't get any better than that. If you feel that old man rise up in you when the preaching is contradictory to your lifestyle, that means he ain't dead yet. I'm not saying I enjoy it when my toes get stepped on, but I want to tell you, I'm thankful for a, for a pastor in my life. I'm thankful for my bishop. I'm thankful that I was raised in a church that even if the preaching didn't feel good to me, I knew it was for the righteousness and saving of my soul. Can I tell you right now, you cannot ever threaten me with death. I'm already a dead man. I'm a dead man walking. I don't want that old man to live in me. Oh, my, my. Y'all, I'm telling you, I feel something moving up in this house. Please, 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 Paul, don't go, don't go. Oh, they're going to bind you up. You heard the prophet. I understand that Paul was flown in the gifts of the Spirit. These are the things that they frustrate me because they take up time preaching, but they got, they got, to, be, they got to be mentioned. The reason Paul was set on going is because Agabus said... Whoever this belongs to, this is going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. Like, we can read right past that. Well, Agabus was, I know people think that the, 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 the prophecy was he was going to be bound. The prophecy was, you're going. Like, we can, we can look at Agabus and say, oh, man, that's so crazy. He said, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. No, he said, whoever this belongs to, when he gets there, it's happening. Paul said, you can't talk me out of my calling. You're not going to talk me out of that. Don't try to break my heart. Don't don't try to scare me to death like if I go down there, it's going to happen. The word has already gone forth. Agabus said, I'm going. Y'all remember the song? We still sing it sometimes. I'm going through. I'm going through. Somebody sing me the next line. I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. I've already made up in my mind. I'm not turning around. I'm walking with Jesus and I'm going through. Pastor, my my parents don't want to serve the Lord. Pastor, my children don't want to serve the Lord. My husband don't want to serve the Lord. My wife don't want to serve the Lord. My mother and dad, they don't want to. I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't make up my mind for my daddy. I didn't make up my mind for my mother. I made up my mind for me. And I'm going through. I'm going. I'm going through. Somebody shouted, I'm going through. Hallelujah. I'm going through. 
So Paul gets to Jerusalem, and there were some pretty serious issues. I don't have time to go into great detail. I can tell you it's bad enough. I sat in my office reading it this morning and cried like a baby. Paul got to begging him. He said, look, I don't think you as a Roman centurion should put a whooping on me right now. He said, there's something you need to know, Bubba. I'm a Roman citizen. He said, you're a what? He said, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. He said, oh, man, they didn't tell me that. I guess I better go over here and talk to the governor and see what I should do. He said, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to just put him down there in the prison and leave him. Well, some folks showed up. Got a little coup together. Some, some of the Jews were upset about his messianic idea and about the revival in the Gentiles. And said he was a, a heretic. And said, uh, we've already made up in our mind that we're not going to eat or drink until we kill him. There's 40 of them. Forty men got together and said, look, we're not going to take a, a drink or eat nothing. We're not going to eat until we kill this guy. And so the Bible said that, that Paul's nephew overhears the conversation. It was his sister's son. Overhears the conversation and comes into the governor's house and says, to uh, Paul said, look, I, you, you need to know there's some guys leading the coup and they're going to try to kill you. They said they're so, so desperate about this that they're not going to eat until they do. And this is the plan that they've put together. They're going to bring you down to the courtroom, if you would. And they're going to say they have further examination that they want to know until they can become perfect in their knowledge of your situation. In other words, until they know everything there is to know, but the real plan is they're not, they're, they're, they're not, uh, they're, they're not going to stand there and cross-examine you. They're going to kill you. It's going to happen. And he said, well, then I need you to go up the hallway, up the stairs to the right, and two doors down on the left, and I need you to tell so-and-so what's going on. So his nephew runs up there and tells him, he says, hey, look, there's a coup going on. There's 40 men. He said, Jewish men said, we're, we're not going to eat until we kill him. And they're going to try to come to you and say, we want to cross-examine him. We want to bring him down. Hear his testimony. He said, but what they really want to do is kill him. He said, don't you tell a soul that you just told me this. Don't tell, don't tell a soul. But I'm going to send him out from here. And I'm going to send him to a safer place where we can deal with it. So he goes to prison. And they got the, the beast and everything. You, you can read the whole story for yourself. Start at 22 and get through 26. So he sends him over there. And he outlives. He outlives the office time of, of one leader. And then Festus comes in after two years. He says, we're going to go take this before Agrippa and we're going to talk to him. So, oh, Paul, man, I wish I had time to preach it. It's so powerful. So Paul gets over there and he, he starts talking and Agrippa says, look, there's some upset people with you. But I'm not going to ask you to get an attorney. I'm going to let you speak for yourself. And Paul said, well, thank you, sir. I want to tell you about my story. He said, I was a man that used to try to get in involved on this stuff, these people killing Christians. I was standing there holding the coat of these guys the day they stoned Stephen. He said, but I'm telling you right now, something got a hold of me. He said, when I saw what that man went through and the look on his face, Agrippa, I got to tell you, something got a hold of me. He said, I was riding down the road, and man, so help me when I was riding down the road on the back of that mule. He said, there was a great light that came out of heaven. And the glory of that light was so much that I couldn't even see. He said that light came and it was so bright it knocked me on my rear end. I fell off of that mule. And I laid there and he said it scared me to death. And I jumped up and said, who art thou, Lord? You know, Brother Stephen, I was in my office this morning. 
I was reading this verse, who art thou, Lord? And the voice come back in red letters, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. I think Lord means Lord. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Festus is sitting over here thinking, what in the world is wrong with this looney tune? Now I know why they want to string his hide up and beat him to death. He's a kook. He said, Paul, there's something wrong with you, son. He said, I think you've learned so much, you're, you're just dumb. Your learning has made you mad. You have sat in this prison cell for so long. You're a nut job. You're messed up. I don't even know what to think about you. Folks, I'm going to make a statement right here that you don't have to agree with, but it's okay. If people aren't looking at you and asking what in the world has happened to you, you probably haven't encountered Jesus. If they look at you and say, man... I'm glad you went to church, but I love to party with you. You can still drink all of us under the table. I went and gave my life to the Lord, but he don't mind, man. It's all natural. God made it, man. He wants us to have it. See, oh, my goodness. I want to take you to a land so far away called California. (laughs) Welcome to Colorado, my friends. If your friends are looking at you and saying, man, that's the kind of Jesus I want because he wants you to be happy. Man, I'm I'm so glad, baby, that you didn't go back to your wife and you're still coming and seeing me, but... Boy, Pastor Dunn got off in the deep water this morning. Look, I'm going to tell you, when I got converted, my conversion was the same as the old town drunk. If you're an old town drunk and you get converted, that means you ain't drunk no more. And if you're an adulterer sleeping with other men's wives, when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll quit that. If you're a fornicator, you'll stop hopping bed to bed. The Holy Ghost don't save me in my sin. It saves me from my sin. I'm not baptized so I can stay a sinner. I'm baptized so my sin can be washed away. So he gives a testimony. And he says, no, I'm going to tell you something, Festus. I'm not messed up. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not the only one in this room that knows this. And he looks at Agrippa, the king. Somebody shout boldness. You'd think after two years in prison, you'd lose a little boldness. It's amazing. You only have to miss a Wednesday or Sunday or two, and you've lost a lot of boldness. Isn't that something, though? He kept it in the prison cell. And he looked right up at the king and doesn't pull any punches. He says, I know you believe the Old Testament. I know you believe the Scripture. I know you do. He forms it as a question first. He's like, don't you believe in the prophets? Don't you believe that what Isaiah said? I mean, you can start filling in the lines, but... Don't you believe, Agrippa, that he was wounded for our transgression? Don't you believe, Agrippa, that he was wounded for my transgression, for mine? Bruised for your iniquity? Don't you believe, when he said, don't you believe the prophets? That's exactly what he's saying. Don't you believe that these prophets prophesied that there would be a son born, a child given, and the government would be upon his shoulders, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace? Don't you believe that? And before Agrippa ever got the answer, he said, I know you do. 
You can't be from around here and not know it. He said, I'm not mad. But the difference in me and Agrippa is that knowledge does nothing if you don't act on it. Agrippa knows if he believes what I'm saying right now inside and it becomes an outside deal, he won't be sitting on the throne any longer. You got to come to a place in your walk with God that your seat does not matter as much as your walk in truth. Your position does not hold more power than the authority of the Messiah in your life. What Paul was saying when he turned around to Agrippa and he said, I know you know the prophets. He was saying, you've heard it read, you've heard it preached, you've seen it live. And Agrippa, I know you know it because of where you're from. But the difference in me and you is I'm standing trial and you're sitting in a seat. Boldness. I know you know it. There's not a question in my mind, Agrippa, that you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And so conviction grips the heart of this king. And he says to him, when conviction gets a hold of him, I understand, I understand the, 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 the context of this, and I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I get a feeling from reading. You know, you can't understand people's motive on a text. There's a message for you. But I can tell you this much. I don't believe that Agrippa was crying under conviction. I believe that Agrippa felt the conviction of what Paul was saying, and instead of giving in, he tries to use a little bit of, little bit of humor. And he says, oh, that was so heartfelt, Paul. You almost convinced me. The scary part about this is if you understand the power of the word almost, That means that for all eternity, Agrippa is going to have to look across that great gulf that is fixed between him and the Apostle Paul and say, I almost made it. Think about that, church family. He's going to have to look at the Apostle Paul across that great gulf and forever, for all eternity, He's going to hear the echo as it bounces off the sound of the ages. Almost. 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 I went to church on Sunday morning and I heard what the preacher preached and I almost moved. The Lord woke me up on that Sunday morning. It was a beautiful morning and I wanted to just sit in my PJs and drink my coffee. But something got a hold of me and I went to the house of the Lord. And that preaching was almost powerful enough to move me. But I stayed in my seat. Somebody somewhere is going to sit through eternity and listen to messages that almost moved you to repentance. I'm going to tell you what I believe, folks. I'm not here to rain down hellfire and brimstone, but you you hear this preacher when I tell you, hell is going to be hotter for some folks. There are going to be some people that have denied the power of the word of God that have sat in services like this one that for all eternity they're going to sit and hear the word that was preached. You mark it down when I tell you there will be people that will hear R.B. Bingham preach for an eternity. There will be people that hear Danny St. Clair preach for an eternity. 
There will be people that pass through meetings in this church, in this city, that God gave them an opportunity for repentance. And they missed out because they almost gave in and they almost believed. But how close are you at almost? How close are you when you're almost saved? I went to church that Sunday and it felt really good. I got stammering lips. I think I may have spoken tongues. I almost got the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget that Sunday when Pastor St. Clair was up there preaching. And I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me right then. Just like Acts chapter 19. Unto what were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. He said, well then you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I'll never forget that Sunday. And Pastor St. Clair was preaching, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name today. And I almost did it. Almost did it. But man, I was so hungry. And I knew that if I didn't leave right then, that the Baptists were going to beat me to KFC. I knew if I didn't go then that all the denominal churches were going to let out and I wasn't going to get to Ponderosa in time to eat. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather almost miss lunch than I would miss heaven. For the first time in my life, I was reading this this week. And I saw it through a different perspective and lens. I don't know why, it's just how God deals with me. For the first time ever, I was reading in Acts chapter 26. And Brother Diaz, it was like I was standing in the room. And I could see Agrippa sitting there with his arms folded. With a condescending look on his face. As he looked down his nose at Paul and he said, Almost. Thou persuadest me. And it was in that moment that I heard him say almost. That it was like I was in the room. And I wanted to shout as loud as I could from the top of my lungs. You're not that far. Agrippa, don't say almost. Because if you're almost persuaded... All you've got to do is stand up from that bench right now. All you've got to do is stand up right now. Take off that crown. Take off your garment. And say whatever they're trying to hang this man up for, I want it right now. Paul, walk me down to the river right now. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you almost convince me I'm not that far. Oh, almost, almost, almost. What you're really saying is, Agrippa, you're not that far away from a breakthrough. You're not that far away from salvation. All you've got to do is hear the testimony of that man and say, whatever he's high on, I want a truckload full of it. I want this Holy Ghost. I'm hurrying. Oh, Lord, I just realized no wonder your stomach's growling. I'm late. Almost, almost, almost means you're not that far, Agrippa. This second sister saying, I'm almost there. My daughter sang and got my preaching time. But you ought to hear this preacher when I tell you right now. You can sit at the table with Messiah and hear the prophetic word that whoso dippeth his hand in the sop. Somebody say close. close. I'm talking about he wasn't as close as John because he didn't hear the heartbeat. But he was close enough to reach up and stick his hand in the bowl with Jesus. I'm talking about right there he had a chance to say, Lord, uh, I had my hand on the bread. You talking about me? Because if you are, I want to I repent right now. I'm sitting at the table with the man. He's getting ready. He's getting ready to be betrayed. 
But if anybody's going to betray him, it's not going to be me. I got my hand in the sop with him. God gave me a chance. I almost had it. Judas, you're not that far, son. You're not that far. Take your hand off the bread. Quit feeding your belly right now. And look at the man that's talking to you. And say, Lord, don't let me go that far. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm going to tell you right now, John didn't have to be the only one at the foot of the cross. Judas could have been right there with him. But for 30 pieces of silver, for filling up his pocket right now, Judas said, I'd rather be happy than saved. And the rest of that story is he took those 30 pieces and he felt so much guilt and condemnation that the Bible said he took those 30 pieces of silver back to the Sanhedrin and he threw them on the floor in front of him. In other words, everything he gained, he lost. All 30 pieces. He walks in there and takes the 30 pieces. He throws them on the floor. Every penny that hell paid him He had to pay it back. But understand this. When you come back to pay the bill. It's always going to cost you more. Than they gave you. The price just went up Judas. 30 pieces aren't going to pay. It's not going to cut the mustard son. You just thought it was 30 pieces. But you're fixing to walk your hide up a hill. All by yourself. In a moment of isolation. And you're going to hang yourself. And your guts are going to spill out over the city. But it didn't have to be this way. Because you were close enough to Jesus that you were almost saved. I'm coming to a close. But I sat in my office this morning. Seeking the Lord, Brother Stephen, I'm sorry I missed your class this morning. Bishop said you were phenomenal, and I believe him. But I was sitting in my class, in my office during class, and I couldn't get free from it. I just kept weeping. As the Lord began to show me in a vision the story, and I, I've, I've got it, I wish I had time to go through it, of a man named Abner who had the price of blood on him because he had killed a man's brother. And so King David, this is the short version. King David tells Abner, he says, son, go, go, go to the city of refuge. Yes. That's a safe place for you to be. Yeah, right. He said, just, just, just go. Just go to the city of refuge. And I'll, I'll protect you there. Just stay, stay. Stay there, stay there. Go to the city of refuge, Abner. Stay there. Man, I could feel the Holy Ghost speaking that to somebody right now. God, I feel him here. Stay in the city of refuge. Stay, stay, Abner. Stay in the city of refuge. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Can we lift our hands right now for just a moment? Oh, Jesus. Oh. 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 Second Samuel chapter three. Verse number twenty seven. So when Abner was returned to Hebron. Watch this. Joab took him aside. Read, read, read this next thing with me right here. In the gate. I'm talking about almost in the city. But almost in is always out. Just, just all I need you to do, Abner, is just almost be in the city. Because the rules say if you're in the city, 
I can't touch you. So come right over here to the gate. Because the gate is open territory. The gate is what not only keeps things in, but it keeps things out. Don't you dare look at holiness and say, I'm sick of this keeping me in. Because you don't know what it's keeping out. Abner, come here. The language of this, if I had time, I would preach this. The language of this. He said, I want to speak with you quietly. In other words, I mean peace. I've not come with war on my mind. Come, Come over here quietly and let me talk to you. Just come over here to the gate. And Abner, standing in the city of refuge, says, it's just a line. Surely it don't mean that much. Maybe I'll just put my right foot outside the church. As long as I still got some of me in the kingdom, part of me outside, I'm safe. He said, all I want to do is talk to you. Just come to the line and people wonder why I live separated from the world. And when he steps outside the line... For a quiet conversation. Joab reaches up and grabs a dagger. And right under the fifth rib. Perfect access to the heart and vitals. You understand this preacher when I tell you. And the Holy Ghost is on me as powerful as I've ever felt it. That the first step of giving the enemy access to your heart. Is the first step you'll take outside the city of refuge. When you step across the line, you are not almost saved. You are lost. And the Bible said that the king began to weep. And he said, why, Abner? Why? Jesus. Man, I feel him here. He said, Abner, I gave you a city. And I put a gate there. But this day, you died as a fool. You died almost saved, Abner. You're not that far. Abner, I need you to turn your heart around right now and walk back in the city. Because there's safety in the house of God. There's safety. There's safety in sound doctrine. There's safety in the church. There's safety in holiness. I'm telling you right now, if I felt like I was almost right with God, you couldn't keep me in my pew right now. I'd do anything and everything I had to do in this house today to be sure that I was right with God. Because almost saved is always lost. As we stand to our feet in this house today, I'm reaching for that person who's almost there today. You're closer than you think. All you got to do is just step out right now. Just step out right now and turn your heart back to the house of God. And I'm going to tell somebody else that's going to step out and be courageous today. The devil almost had you, but almost don't count because just as he reached out, You turned your back on him and stepped back into the city of refuge. And as of today, you're not almost saved and Satan don't almost have you because you turned in the right direction. I'm asking you today to reach out to the Lord. I'm not going to beg you today to pray. I'm not going to beg you. Please understand. I'm just saying, if you, want, if you want to be in the city of refuge, it's going to be a cognizant, intentional decision that I'm going to do everything I can to be right with God. I'm going to ask you right now to turn your heart towards heaven. We don't need, we don't need people just watching to see what you're going to do right now. And listen, it don't matter. Don't, don't worry if people are watching you. Agrippa. Almost was not that far away. All you had to do, Agrippa, was bow your knee in repentance. 
and let that apostle baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you too, Agrippa, could have been baptized into the body and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I know it's late this morning, church. But I need somebody to reach to heaven right now. Almost. Thou persuadest me. Almost. How many Sundays have you come to the house of the Lord and almost were baptized in Jesus' name and almost lived for God? You're not that far. All you got to do today is just give in. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Today. Today.